This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hey, hey, welcome to the Disability Law Show. Totally jazzed to have you with us here on the show today. Remember, you can always contribute, and the best way is through email. Anytime, help at disabilityrights.ca. And the phone number to reach out toll free to Savannah, to Martin, their respective crews, the guys are always ready to uh, give you a helping hand get that conversation started there's the baseline way in is get that conversation 1-855-821-5900 again 1-855-821-5900 i'll give you a couple other uh, websites and ways to reach out throughout the show as well on the show today busy one applying for ltd because of fibromyalgia what is it muscle pain fibromyalgia but it's not that basic we're going to break down some of the things you should be doing and enlighten you for sure and then we'll get to a pile of email because they're already starting to uh, to come in as well but savannah we always start you and martin always have a discussion but you always kick it off of the week that was pal give it to me what do you got yeah john i had an interesting call this week actually it dated back from the week before but it's just last week that i spoke with with a lawyer and this lawyer is from manitoba and here's how uh, we, we got connected. Apparently, uh, he has a client in Manitoba that watched our show, uh, our, our TV show, and heard me talk about something. And he relayed that information to his own lawyer because he's also on long-term disability, this particular individual. Uh, now, he misunderstood what I was saying, but that prompted that lawyer who had recently taken over that file in their office, it was being handled by someone else, uh, that lawyer, who's a senior lawyer, but doesn't have expertise in long-term disability law, it prompted that lawyer to reach out to me. And so his assistant sent me a letter, very formal letter, saying, you know, I'm representing this and this client, and, you know, he heard you on TV say so-and-so. I would love a few minutes of your time to consult with you. He wanted to consult with me about his client's case. And, says, and, and, and of course, you know, we'll pay you for your time. And, you know, of course, we do these shows for free. I speak to people for free. I just love giving out this information. The more information I can give other lawyers who are helping clients who are dealing with insurance companies and the more I can help people who are having issues with their insurance companies, especially as it relates to long-term disability, the better. I'm more than happy to do so. And so we arranged to speak and I spoke with him. Here's what I learned. His client has been disabled for the last seven plus years. His client is not only disabled, he's a truck driver, by the way, has been uh, uh, driving trucks for, for decades. Not only is he disabled, uh, he's also receiving CPP disability. So the government has confirmed that he's disabled, that he has a severe and prolonged disability. Mm-hmm. And of course, on this show, we've said before, at least it's my opinion, that getting CPP disability is arguably even tougher than getting LTD. But at the very least, it's the same toughness. So why is the insurance company in that individual's case why did they reject the claim or, or cut off his benefits? Well, the more I spoke with that lawyer, the more I understood that that lawyer sounds like a great guy, probably knows everything there is to know about real estate law, family law, and immigration, but doesn't know much about long-term disability law. So I gave him as much information as I could. And the more I listened to him talk, the more I was convinced that the insurance company was taking advantage of him, the lawyer, and the law firm, and that individual who's disabled. Think about this. That claim has been ongoing for seven plus years. I'm sure Martin's going to have something to say about that. I can tell you that there is no reason in the world that I can think of a long-term disability claim taking anywhere near that time frame. We have cases in our office where just by virtue of us sending a letter to the insurance company asking for their file on behalf of a client, 
prompts the insurance company to reverse course and say, we made a mistake, we're going to reinstate the person and put them back on LTD. So to hear a situation like this of somebody who is disabled, clearly disabled, uh, not being paid for the last seven years, essentially being on the verge of bankruptcy for all this time, it is mind-boggling to me. And and to boot, uh, he was telling me, this lawyer, that that, that, that uh, insurance company, their lawyer, has been asking a whole bunch of questions. Uh, questions about uh, various medical documentation, uh, about various aspects of the claims process. Why didn't the claimant do this or do that? I won't get into specifics except to tell you that me as somebody who's been working on long-term disability claims, and Martin here as well, if I hear a defense lawyer working for the insurance company raising the points that this lawyer told me was were being raised in that case, my first instinct is the insurance company in that case is grasping at straws. They have no leg to stand on. They should be paying and they should be paying a lot. And by the way, that is a fairly big claim, that particular claim over there. I just again, from that conversation I had with him, I valued it probably at over half a million dollars in, term of, you know, in, in, in terms of value. But that's, that's money that has already or should have already been in that client's pocket. So, so you know, we had a very good chat. It was a 45-minute uh, discussion. I answered all his questions. Uh, you could feel that, that that lawyer was a lot more, more comfortable now and a lot more confident. And I said, listen, if at any point you need my help uh, with, with your client, with any other client, again, just for free, just reach out to me at any point. I'm more than happy. And he was, of course, taken aback by that. Uh, you know, because, you know, even though lawyers are supposed to be helping each other and there's supposed to be collegiality, you know, it's his client, it's not my client. But again, I'm putting it out there to other people as well, other lawyers, perhaps, who are listening to the show, who perhaps don't have expertise with long-term disability. Feel free to give us a call, okay? We will guide you, we will help you, we will answer your questions. There are limitations, obviously, on what we can do because it's not our clients that we're dealing with, but we're more than happy to speak with other lawyers, with doctors, psychologists, individuals, concerned family members, the more we can get out there, the more we can help people who are struggling with their long-term disability claims and are fighting these insurance companies who just don't want to pay when they when they should, the happier we're going to be. We just want to get this information out there, John. Again, one 821 Got any uh, comment on that, uh, Martin? What do you think, pal? I do. Uh, yeah, thank you for that, Sivan. You know, in the years that I've done this, uh, our practice, my practice, firm's practice is very focused on what we do, right? So I don't know a lot about other areas of the law, but I know a lot about disability and insurance, critical illness, life insurance, but this is what we do on a regular day. And this is what we've been doing for many years. So in the time that I've been handling LTD claims, now and again, if something does come across your desk where another lawyer may reach out, or a client, somebody else's client may reach out to you. And there have been situations where another lawyer may be handling the claim. It is not something that that lawyer regularly does. Like Savan was saying, maybe they're a real estate lawyer or they're in some other form of litigation uh, as their ex area of expertise. But then they took on this disability claim. And they're in communications with the insurance company on an ongoing basis, doing appeals or helping the person making the claim do an appeal because their claim was denied. And there have been instances where those people then ended up in our office and the appeal had been ongoing for a number of years. Now that of course raises all types of concerns, not because that lawyer didn't have the right incentive to try and help the person, 
but they didn't realize when the limitation period begins to run. In other words, when does the timeline begin to run within which you must start a legal claim, which in BC is normally two years. The triggering event, though, is questionable. Not everybody knows when that those two years start to run. So in those cases, it is really problematic then because now you may have a, a potential lawsuit or that client may have a potential claim against that lawyer for missing the limitation period. And that, again, is when people get involved in areas of practice where they have no experience and expertise. And yes, they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to help. But ultimately, there are these pitfalls which they don't know about because they're not familiar with this area of practice. In those instances, we still have assisted the clients. Uh, we may have involved other insurers, but it does become problematic. So it's wonderful that we do help other people. And like Sivan says, it really is something that you want to help because you ultimately want to help the person making the claim. They're not getting money. They're living with a illness that prevents them from working. And all of that is just creating further stress. And the longer they don't get paid, the more the stress adds up and obviously must be worsening the person's health condition. So they are the utmost, most important thing and the person who you want to help. So in those instances, we're happy to have discussions with other lawyers, but I also want to make sure that people don't, you know, I would advise that you speak to somebody who actually is involved in these cases, in this practice area as a disability lawyer, because there are things, there are aspects to this area of practice which if you don't work in it, you may not be aware of it. And there may be concerns later on, like missing a limitation period, for example. And that also goes to this issue with doing an appeal. You know, some people feel that they do want to do that first appeal. But if you've done that, if you really feel that you wanted to do that and it failed, really consider pursuing a legal claim because you're barking up the tree where you're trying to convince this massive insurance company who's already denied your claim to reinstate the claim or to pay the claim once they've already made that decision to deny it. It's not like it's an independent entity making that decision. It is the exact same entity. And to try and convince them to do the right thing once they've already made that denial, think about where their loyalties lie at that point. So if there is a denial, reach out to me or, or, or us, rather, our firm. And if you are involved in an appeal with another law firm, consider at least speaking to them about what the limitation period is. Again, guys, that number, one 821 5900 Yeah, that appeal thing, Savannah, it tricks a lot of people because it's, 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 you know, it's played out as such a formal thing, and it's like a, they're throwing you a lifeline, a life preserver. You just have to do this, and everything will be okay, and that's, that's not the case, right? Absolutely, and I want to echo what Martin said. And by all means, please contact him. I mean, he, he's <laughs> one of the authorities here. And I will tell you, uh, BC, Alberta, any other province, I mean, we've dealt with other provinces too, but those are the two main provinces uh, on, on, on the West Coast where we handle these kinds of claims. And I will tell you, John, I echo what Martin says. Look, we will help lawyers out there help their clients. But ultimately, you know, if you have a heart issue, you want a cardiologist, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to go to the dentist. It's the same thing here. You want to make sure you go to a lawyer that has a specific expertise in this area of law. And that's what we do. That's what Martin does. It's what I do. It's what other people on our team do. So do, do not be you know misled by this, these appeals, and we, we're going to talk about them in the context of the emails that are coming in, John, uh, but really, really important, make sure that you do your homework at the beginning and that you go to a lawyer and a law firm that has a reputation, a proven reputation with insurance companies in this area of law, of long-term disability. 
Applying for LTD because of fibromyalgia. That is coming up after a short break. In the meantime, here's that number. An email, again, you can reach out anytime you would like. one 855 821-5900 and help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue. Lots more of the Disability Law Show is coming up. Hang on. And welcome back, Disability Law Show. We love you hanging on through the break and uh, wanting to learn more. Education is the key component of this show, and uh, the follow-up phone call is great. That is provided to you absolutely toll-free in the form of one 855 821-5900, email help at disabilityrights.ca. You have other questions you want to ask, you want to type them into uh, your smartphone or your tablet, your Chromebook, whatever, it doesn't matter. That is mydisabilityquestions.com. That is a beauty because it's got a searchable database. That's the way it was constructed. So you can look to see if a similar question has already been asked and answered. If not, you can leave yours there and they'll uh, they'll get to it. Again, my disabilityquestions.com. Okay, guys, very popular topic uh, medically as well, not only when it has to do with LTD, and that is fibromyalgia. So we're going to get to our main topic, applying for LTD because of that uh, particular uh, malady. Fibromyalgia can be difficult, Savannah, to diagnose and is often viewed skeptically by insurance companies. Break that down for me. Let me start off from the last part, which is viewed Mm -hmm. skeptically by insurance companies. And let me make a confession here. Almost 20 years ago, when I started doing insurance work, I was starting as an insurance lawyer. That's That was my upbringing. I literally started as a student in a law firm and then a lawyer working for insurance companies in the context of, of personal injury, no long-term disability. But the idea was the same. Insurance companies and lawyers like myself back then were very skeptical of fibromyalgia, of chronic pain, sexological sure. issues, all these kinds of things. We sort of lumped them together and said, we do not believe you. Everything changed for me as I started seeing these cases develop and as I started getting uh, a fuller understanding, a medical understanding and being educated by experts in the field of medicine who deal with these kinds of conditions. I have a good friend who's a chronic pain specialist who deals with fibromyalgia. And he's explained to me, uh, you know, how serious and debilitating that condition could be. And in, and in, in, in fact, John, if you go to the American College of Rheumatologists, you go on their website, they talk a lot about fibromyalgia. They'll tell you that it's characterized by, by widespread pain and tenderness, sensitivity to touch. You can't sleep properly. You're depressed. You're anxious. You have migraines, maybe digestive problems, pelvic pains, uh, a whole bunch of different disorders. And the diagnosis is not that simple. Now, I can tell you insurance companies and many defense lawyers almost treat fibromyalgia as a diagnosis of exclusion. They, they tend to see it as, okay, we don't know what's wrong with you. We don't know if we believe you. You're just saying you have fibromyalgia, like a catch-all phrase. That is not correct. And my friend who's a chronic pain specialist explained to me that there's actual criteria that was established to diagnose fibromyalgia. Uh, as an example, he says that there are 19 body parts where they gauge the level of severity of, of how much pain you have in those 19 body parts. Uh, fatigue, um, uh, memory issues, cognitive difficulties, uh, you know, whether your symptoms have been lasting for three months or more, various other health problems. It's not a simple diagnosis to make, and maybe sometimes it's made mistakenly, but nonetheless, it is a debilitating condition. And many individuals out there who are on it will tell you there is no cure. There is some treatment perhaps with some medications, but there is no cure. We're gonna get to that in a second. So insurance companies, yes, they often ignore it. Uh, They often reject it and they often just overlook it. But the reality is it is a serious and recognized condition. And if you are suffering from it, 
you should qualify for long-term disability if it disables you from working. We'll get to the second of these points when it comes to applying for LTD because of fibromyalgia. Martin, that is, it is vital to seek appropriate treatment from doctors and specialists alike, right? It is. And you know what? This is a topic that we could speak about for hours and hours. The diagnosis, once it is diagnosed, and as Sivan says, it's not an easy thing to diagnose, and it may take time to diagnose. And not all doctors are as familiar with it as others may be. And even in today's times they like insurance companies may be skeptical there are still some people in the medical community who are also skeptical so and on add, to add to that you've got the difficulty of having a healthcare system that isn't very helpful <laughs> in the times that we live in so when you when you have a condition like fibromyalgia and it is deemed to be a from a cynical lens at, at least from the insurance company's perspectives you have to make sure that you're doing all the things that you can, both within the meaning of the policy, because it, the policy requires that you be under the regular care of a physician and that you have an appropriate treatment plan in place. So these conditions, because they are viewed from a skeptical lens, uh, they're also deemed to be what is called invisible conditions or subjective conditions, because you don't see them on an x-ray or an MRI or a CT scan. Insurance companies and their lawyers would often say to us, look, all of this is based on self-report. It is your client saying that all these things are preventing them from work, be it a situation where they have widespread pain, they have anxiety and depression, because that often goes hand in hand with fibromyalgia, as well as a big issue that we constantly see, which is brain fog which affects a person's way of thinking. It affects their cognitive faculties. They have difficulty to focus, to concentrate, to multitask, and their sleep is affected. And on top of that, it's quite often linked to another condition, which is chronic fatigue syndrome or myalgic encephalitis, which is also very disabling. You often see those two going hand in hand. So there are treatment centers out there. You want to make sure that you see your doctor on a regular basis. And most importantly, See the doctor, report to the doctor what your restrictions and limitations are. In other words, what are your symptoms? What are you experiencing? And make sure that the doctor notes those down in their clinical entries, in their chart notes. In BC, for example, we have something called the Complex Chronic Diseases Program at BC Women's Hospital. And there's a very long wait list. And the reason for that is because there are so many people out there with conditions like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue and chronic pain, and they all struggle to get appropriate treatment. So lots of them are on that wait list, but while you're on there, or at least trying to get in to see somebody who is specialized in this area, make sure you see your doctor regularly and have your doctor refer you to somebody who may be a specialist if the doctor feels that they're not equipped to properly treat this condition. And there are some treatments out there, like there's medication, Cymbalta, for example, something that they quite often prescribe, not just to deal with the chronic pain component, but also the depression component. I'm not a doctor. I'm still suggesting at all that this is what the treatment should be. But we, through the work that we do, we see these issues pop up every now and again. And when insurance companies look at cases, when a person is suffering with or living with, fibromyalgia, they're going to look at what treatment are you doing, what other treatments other than medications are you involved with, because if you're not doing anything, they really don't like that, because there's an expectation under the policy and in common law that you have to take steps to get better. Unfortunately, not all people 
can get better with fibromyalgia to the extent that they can improve their function and can get back to work. And that's where the problem lies. So if you see your doctors regularly, and if you do try the treatment modalities that are being recommended to you, and if you're still not being improving, then at least the doctor can say, well, I've tried all these things with my patient. My patient has seen me regularly, and I have had the opportunity to make an informed opinion on their function because I've seen them regularly. I can see that things are not getting better despite of all the treatments that they've been involved in. So it is crucial, especially, unfortunately, with conditions which are largely based on self-report from the insurance company's perspectives, at least, that you do do these things. And also from your own perspective, you would want to get better and try to engage in these treatments. But again, it, it is, it's a very tough thing to be living with these conditions. And as I say, it's not just widespread pain. There are so many things that go with it. And unfortunately, maybe in time there will be better treatments. But for the moment, do whatever you can and follow your doctor's advice in the hopes of getting better. Talking about applying for LTD because of fibromyalgia, and that and that what you just said there, Martin, kind of dovetails nicely into the third point, Savannah. That is, insurance adjusters often they deny these fibromyalgia claims based on insufficient documentation or lack of medical support as well, right? Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's not specific to fibromyalgia. I mean, insurance companies oftentimes deny claims on this very vague uh, excuse basis of insufficient documentation and lack of medical support when in fact the doctors are providing everything that is required for the insurance company to make a decision that the person does qualify for LTD. And when we see these kinds of denial letters where they say insufficient documentation, I mean, we look ourselves, Martin does, I do, other members of our team, we look at a medical documentation. And I can tell you, listen, unless there is really nothing there, generally there is sufficient information. Maybe the insurance company requires some uh, clarification on some questions, but generally speaking, they have enough to go on. And, and you know what bothers me, and Martin, I wonder what you think about this, what bothers me is that uh, not the cases where the person hasn't provided anything, which by the way is rare, it's rare for us to see those, and certainly not the cases where we know that there is more than enough documentation for the insurance company to, to agree that the person is disabled and should get LTD. It's those cases where, okay, the doctor hasn't completely spelled out and explained 100% with clarity what exactly is the functional limitation of the person, but the doctor is clearly concerned about the person, clearly saying the person needs to be off work, clearly explaining what the symptoms are. Again, doesn't go maybe the full way because they're not lawyers, they're not insurance adjusters, they're doctors. And the insurance company, instead of asking for a clarification from those doctors or telling the person, here's what we need your doctor to provide more information on, simply crank out this uh, pro forma letter saying, we deny your claim on the basis of a lack of medical support. To me, that is the most frustrating thing because there are people out there who may in fact believe that they're not entitled to LTD as a result when the opposite is in fact correct. So, you know, when we're dealing with fibromyalgia, again, chronic pain, other conditions that Martin explained, and, and others as well, this applies not just to fibromyalgia, but other claims. Insurance adjusters often deny these claims wrongly, wrongly, incorrectly, unjustly, illegally. And what people need to understand is that there are ways to go about fighting this. Uh, not you, because, you know, the people out there themselves who are disabled, they're tired, right? They're disabled. They're trying to focus on their own health. Oftentimes, that's what consumes them. This is what we're here for. Once we get involved, we take over all communications with the insurance company. We take over document collection, dealing with your doctors from a medical, from a documentary uh, standpoint. 
we deal with all of the leg the legalities our job is to go after the insurance company and force them to pay you what you're owed period let's move on to an email guys again you can send one along anytime that would be one 821 5900 for the phone number but email is help at disabilityrights.ca we'll get started on jenna's email anyway it says i've been on short-term disability for about five months now uh, off work for a year due to, uh, due to having grand mal seizures i had three seizures and fractured and dislocated my dominant shoulder diagnosed with epilepsy my arm's getting better after surgery and constant physio can i be kicked off short-term because my arm is better would epilepsy be considered for long-term as well, never knowing when my next seizure will hit and lots of side effects of meds and constant worry and fear and anxiety of having more? Wow, that's rough. What do you think? That's a tough situation, Jenna. You know what? I, and I've seen similar cases over the past year where the person has a risk of having a seizure. And the insurance company would say, well, we don't think that this is a disability from the perspective that if you're not working, and you're not having the seizure, it's more of a preventative measure to not be working. That is just nonsense because ultimately, yes, epilepsy can be very debilitating. It is the fact of, in this situation as well, where Jenna says exactly what's happening. It is, she has lots of side effects from the medications, the constant worry and fear and anxiety of the potential of having a, or the possibility of having a seizure, which clearly would be impacting her ability to function at work. So she may not be having a seizure all the time, or there may not be one, but the fact of the, the, the potential of that is so concerning and creates anxiety that she cannot focus and concentrate. I have seen, like I say, a number of these cases over the past year, and the focus has to be, yes, what are the restrictions and limitations that would prevent you from working? And it's not just a fact of an epilepsy diagnosis. It's everything that goes with it. And with that, guys, we'll take a short break and uh, get back to a lot more of the email. You can send one along anytime. You can also reach out to the guys after the show and have a conversation. one 821 5900 email help at disabilityrights.ca and to check out the firm webpage and more contact that would be simply disabilityrights.ca we'll continue with the disability law show hang on welcome back disability law show still with us good and uh, we'll reach out to you and you can reach out to us anytime toll free 1-855-821-5900 help at disabilityrights.ca and for any other questions you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com type them on your phone or your desktop Anytime you would like, uh, I want to move down to Carrie's email, guys. says, hi there. I have been on LTD since 2016, and I'm wondering, especially now with inflation, if I can explore a way to make some more, uh, some extra money doing tasks that I'm able to do, like, I don't know, dog walking. What do you guys think? Okay, so, Carrie, here's what I'll tell you. First of all, <clears throat> um, many people contact us asking, well, my LTD is X, and I've been on it for half a year, a year, two years, and again, citing inflation, which, of course, is very concerning for everyone. Uh, can I get a higher benefit? Let's start from that for a second. I know that's not the question, but that's a common question we get. I think what's important here is that uh, people understand that the relationship between them and the insurance company is contractual. When we're talking about the long-term disability policy, we are talking about that contract, that piece of paper, that document. The LTD policy is the contract. You need to look in that contract to see if there is a provision that allows for a cost of living adjustment, a COLA provision. 
Uh, and listen, we've seen situations where people have that kind of a provision in their policies, and yet they don't see year after year their benefit rise. And in those cases, you may have a claim against your insurance company because your insurance company clearly missed something. They didn't comply with that provision of your policy. So I urge everyone out there who is on LTD or knows someone on LTD uh, to get a copy of their policy, check the provisions, and especially look for the cost of living adjustment, number one. Number two, uh, can Carrie explore a way of making some money, like dog walking? Again, going back to the contract, remember that the contract contains certain provisions which uh, uh, put certain responsibilities on you and on the insurance company, and then also provide each side with certain benefits. You as the insured person, Carrie, are entitled to the LTD itself, uh, to that benefit. The insurance company, however, is also entitled to certain things. And one of the things that we look at are the offset provisions. There's gonna be a provision or provisions in your policy, most likely, that say that if you earn any income, that income potentially is uh, credited to the insurance company. In other words, the insurance company is allowed to look at that income and say, we're gonna pay you less LTD, i.e. less uh, the amount that you are earning. But there is a larger issue here you need to be uh, concerned about, which is that if you start working, doing some kind of other work, is that going to suddenly put a microscope on you? Is the insurance company going to look at that and say, wait a second, Carrie appears to be able to do X, maybe she can go back to work, either in her own occupation, if she's within the first two years of being on LTD, or any other occupation where she can earn commensurate income you know, two-thirds, let's say, of her pre-disability income. So by doing other work and your insurance company realizing you can do other work, and I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting you hide it, uh, but if you are doing other work, I think at the very least, the insurance company is going to get a credit for that amount of money you're going to earn. Uh, but at worst, they're going to start examining your claim and starting to see or to take a look to, ex to, to, to investigate whether or not they can cut you off or, 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 you know, or even try to suggest to you and, and I'm not going to say force you, but pressure you to try and return to your own occupation. Again, from their standpoint, they want to uh, uh, stop paying you as soon as possible. So as soon as they see somebody working who's on LTD, the first thought in their mind is, oh, wait a second, is this a claim that we can cut off or can we force that person back to work? So be very, very careful of that because that does happen. Uh, and I'm not suggesting, by the way, Carrie, that you don't try to go back to work. You know, we do encourage people, if they can, and if their doctors think it's a good idea, to try to do other work or go back to their own occupation. But just be careful because the insurance company is going to view this very differently. They're going to view this from their own perspective, from their own angle, and that is to save money and not pay you. Martin, anything you want to say about this one? I think you've covered it very well. The, the, the one thing that I will say, and you've you've touched on this, is if you do want to try and do something, yes, you may very well run the risk of them looking at this much more closely to see whether you can now go work in another occupation because you've been paid since 2016. So clearly, if there is a change of definition, which I assume there is, I'm thinking this is a group policy, uh, you're in the any occupation phase now. So they're going to look at this very carefully you see, well, if you could do this thing, maybe you could do just a little bit more. But if this is where this is going to go, be very clear with your and get your doctor on board to make sure that whatever it is that you think you're going to be doing, depending on your disability, make sure that the doctor supports that. And if it's in a very limited basis, notes that down in the clinical records as well. So that if the insurance company at some point looks at this and says, well, we think you can go do X and Y, you and your doctor are already prepared for that because your 
capacity or your function is so limited to maybe do you know 30 minutes of dog walking if this is for example a mental health disorder who, who, i don't know what it is but there are risks to this but i suppose if you do try to just make sure that you and your doctor are on the same page all right get down to leslie i'll throw this one towards you since you're already hanging on there martin says uh, hi guys i am and was a dental hygienist for many years before neck and back problems caused me to stop working full-time i purchased a private disability plan back in 96 1996 uh, i've been fighting with my insurer for almost two years to get the benefits i was entitled to and finally succeeded in november of 2022 and just received part two of my benefits and have been approved ongoing my question is this the adjuster I had was negligent in my mind, not responding to, uh, responding to emails, twisting conversations we had, and by phone, misrepresenting information I had provided. I found the process abusive and traumatic. The amount of paperwork I did due to, uh, due to his lack of response not being forthcoming and obvious information was astronomical and even further detrimental to my neck and back. I have since learned no phone convos, requested my chart, etc. I finally succeeded to get payment and action when I sent a long email outlining what I'd been through with this adjuster to Ombudsman of Alberta, Ombudsman of my insurer and the Living Benefits Department and then my case was transferred to the manager and my case has been handled perfectly and transparently since then apparently they use my case for training purposes but I think it's all <clears throat> BS for lack of a better word I think that it is to encourage people to quit but when they do not go away then they transfer. It was unbelievable what happened to me. The stress is caused. My question is this. Is there a possibility of punitive damages? I feel this is wrong. So many are in desperate need and do not understand their rights, are afraid to hire a lawyer and give in and give up to the bullying from these companies. Many consider suicide at the hopelessness of their situation, become entrenched in a financial mess of accumulated interest, while they fight for their benefits that is difficult to get out of. I understand the duty to provide the medical information proof but ethics entails they have a duty to be transparent to respond to questions and queries to explain the policy so the client understands and this is very clearly not done in my case and is likely happening with many others i'd like to know your thoughts on this matter wow what do you think about that you start on it anyway martin what do you think pal well there's a lot to unpack here uh, clearly leslie has lived what we've been speaking about could be the potential of getting involved in making the application, potentially going through an appeal process. Because if this took two years, then there's a lot to be said. But I know we have to go on a break. And when we come back, we can unpack it further. Lastly, stand by. We will get to that. In the meantime, that number, one 821 help at disabilityrights.ca. And we continue with the Disability Law Show. Hang in there. Coming right back. All right, we're back. Still a few minutes to go here on the Disability Law Show. Love having you here with us. You can contribute anytime. We encourage you to as well. Email help at disabilityrights.ca. Beyond that, reach out to Savan. Reach out to Martin. they got great teams working with them as well. And that number, toll-free, 821 5,900. We just uh, started to scratch the surface, uh, Martin, of Leslie's email. Basically, you know, a really bad harassment adjuster, negligent in all forms. And finally, uh, the question was, is there a possibility of punitive damages? Things have since gone a little more smoothly, but it's been a rough ride. Not helping the physical attributes of the problem as well, right? Definitely. You know, and, and Leslie says that she purchased this private policy from the insurance company in 1996 yeah. and then it took her almost two years to get her benefits instated after she had gone off work so 
there's a lot to be said because the question is about punitive damages. So first things first, when you have an insurance company adjudicating a claim, because you've made a claim, you're disabled, you cannot work, clearly you've submitted proper evidence to support it, you cannot work, the insurance company now has that evidence. They have at their end what is called a duty of good faith. What that means is they have to be transparent. I agree with Leslie. They have to be acting in a timely manner and they have to have an open mind when they review the documents in place. Not, find, not looking at it from the perspective of what can we do or what can we use to deny the claim, but let's look at this evidence that has been supported, provided to support the claim, and let's look at it in a timely manner and make a decision on this. This took two years. So to, in my mind, there must have been an appeal process all along. And it took Leslie to take this to the ombudsman in Alberta and to the insurance company and to raise it to senior level. And somehow, I'm not sure how this was done, but somehow it was communicated to Leslie that they're now using this as a test case to end, probably to train their employees as to how to not handle cases. If that is the case here, yes, definitely. I would think that there is a claim for punitive damages. This is not how things should be done. And we speak about this every time we have a show. The insurance companies have a duty under that policy. These are called peace of mind contracts. Think about that, peace of mind. The reason they're called peace of mind is so that when you purchase a policy and you're paying monthly premiums, you are purchasing peace of mind. So that if something does go wrong, that you can no longer work, and you've had this policy since 1996, yeah. and you've been paying premiums every month all those years, diligently, because you have in your mind this belief that the insurance company is going to pay you your benefits when you can no longer work, and then this happens, this is not the way to do things. It clearly isn't. So, Leslie, yes, I agree that there definitely is a claim here. We speak about this all along. This goes back to that appeal process. Leslie fought tooth and nail, clearly, to get this benefit in place. But should she have done that all along? I think when she was denied at the first instance, she probably should have spoken to a lawyer at that time. But she didn't. So now we're in the place where she is being paid. She's in that relationship with the insurance company. But should they just wash their hands and walk away and say, okay, well, we're sorry about all of these things that have happened to you. We ultimately made the right decision. So let's just move on. No, I think that there is a claim to pursue here. Uh, but I'm sure Sivan also has a few things to say on this. Yeah, um, I completely agree with everything that you have said, uh, Martin. And, you know, I will say this, that uh, we have had cases across the country uh, where insurance companies have been hit with significant, significant punitive damages claims, you know, to the tunes of hundreds of thousands of dollars and even millions of dollars. Uh, you know, I think that if we were in the States, you would be seeing punitive damages of billions of dollars because the reality is that some of these insurance companies are just acting in such bad faith and, and you know, they know it. Again, they're playing the odds. Now, sometimes it's a rogue adjuster. Sometimes it's just the insurance company that is being completely unreasonable. But the point is that in the claims that we pursue, we pursue them aggressively, assertively. Uh, we don't let the insurance company off the hook. When we recommend a resolution, a settlement to our client, it's after analyzing everything and after being completely confident that we have essentially squeezed everything we could from the insurance company for the benefit of our clients. 
So this is a conversation we have with each and every client specific to the facts of each case. But again, I agree with Martin 100% here. These are contracts for peace of mind. And the immense amount of harm that these insurance companies do to individuals, not just in the long-term disability context, but in the context of house insurance, travel insurance. By the way, travel insurance. We just resolved, I, literally, as, as we are doing this show right now, I'm getting word from the court that we finally resolved our uh, TD class action uh, case uh, for millions of dollars against TD insurance. Again, why? Because these insurance companies refuse to pay what they are supposed to pay by law. And so when Martin handles a case, when I handle the case, when other people in our office handle cases, we look at all categories of damages, including punitive damages, aggravated damages, pain and suffering damages. We work within the confines of the law, but we maximize absolutely everything we can to get justice for our clients. It's always good to reach out. As mentioned, you get some answers. Leslie, appreciate uh, appreciate that note again. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Let's get down to uh, to Michael. Michael says, "Hey guys, currently sixty years old. I'm on LTD. I have one year left before the change of definition. I was an employee for six years before tearing my rotator cuff. Now my insurance would like to pay me out of my claim. They are suggesting pay me out one half of the value of the remaining five years to age sixty five. Is there a rule of thumb for insurance payouts, or are they all specific and individual? Also, did the government change retirement age from sixty five to sixty seven? Thank you. Okay, we got to fill in, Michael." Uh, Okay, so I'll take first crack at this. We don't have a lot of time left, guys. But uh, as to the question of how to assess uh, these kinds of offers from insurance companies, look, the insurance company is not trying to buy you out or pay you out uh, for your benefit. It's for their benefit. And there is no rule of thumb, to be honest with you, at least from my perspective. Every case is different. And and I would want to understand exactly how much it is that you are earning, what the nature is of your disability is exactly. I need to understand a bit more about your case, Michael. But I can tell you that we do these kinds of assessments all the time. And sometimes we tell people, listen, it's a good idea in our view for you to accept it or to negotiate or to reject. You need to understand the repercussions of each one of these uh, uh, specific uh, decisions, uh, because even if you accept, what does that do for your claim going forward? If you have a similar claim, if you return to the workforce. So there is a lot of things to consider here. uh, And I would just urge you to get in touch with us after the show so we can talk to you specifically about your case uh, and about the option that is right for you. Michael, nicely done. Appreciate that. Good way to wrap for today, guys. Tons of information, lots of correspondence. Keep it coming, though. We continue to answer the emails uh, after the show, too. And you can reach out by phone, 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the go-to email address. And I mentioned it before, the website, mydisabilityquestions.com. Free and anonymous resource for you to ask questions using your phone or your tablet, whatever you can type into with your fingers. And that's how you send those ones along. Searchable database. Maybe your question has been asked previously and answered, but take full advantage uh, anytime. MyDisabilityQuestions.com. And we'll catch you next time right here on the Disability Law Show. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.